Welcome once again to the Believe in the Ravens podcast. I'm your host, Bo Smolka, joined by my co-host, Daniel Wilcox, former Ravens tight end. And today we are going to recap the Ravens' 23-20 loss to the Buffalo Bills, in which, again, the Ravens blew a big lead. They could be 4-0. Instead, they are 2-2, and and two of their losses came when they blew really big leads. But in this game, all anyone in Baltimore is talking about is the decision by John Harbaugh with about four minutes left in the game to skip the easy field goal chance for Justin Tucker and instead go for the touchdown in a tie game on fourth down from the two-yard line. It didn't work out, and the Bills go down and win the game. So we'll break that down. A lot of discussion in this town today about John Harbaugh and that decision. Before we get into it, I want to remind you that Believe in the Ravens is sponsored by Bet Online. Football is back, and BetOnline is the number one source for all your football betting needs this season. You'll find the latest odds, matchup info, player info, and game trends. And it will be your source for all sports, Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, golf, and even tennis and boxing. As your continued source for all sports wagering, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive a 100% welcome bonus for your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your reward. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, Daniel Wilcox, let's get right to it. 20-20, the Ravens face fourth and two, fourth and goal at the Bills' two-yard line with about four minutes left in the game. It's essentially an automatic three points and a 23-20 lead. Instead, John Harbaugh keeps the offense on the field, fourth and two, from the shotgun. Lamar Jackson facing pressure, throws to the corner of the end zone, and he's intercepted. The Bills get the ball, and they go down and win the game on the final play of the game with a chip shot field goal. After the Ravens had used all their timeouts, the Bills controlled the clock. They wanted to make sure the Ravens couldn't get the ball back. Josh Allen takes a knee twice to set up the field goal. Game over. Ravens lose, and I can tell you in this town of Baltimore today, people are out for John Harbaugh's head. They think it was an awful decision. Now this team, there's frustration building. They're 2-2. Two and two. They're tied for first place in the division, so it, all is not lost. But this was a tough one to swallow, and that decision everybody is talking about. So you tell me, Daniel Wilcox, when you see that play, that setup. Harbaugh's keeping the offense on the field. What is your thought? I got mixed reviews about it, Bo, but if I'm the head coach, I'm telling you right now I'm kicking the field goal. I just don't – I don't understand how you take the ball out of somebody like Justin Tucker's hands and or his foot and not allow him to give you three points right there with four minutes left on the clock. And I, and I could – I understand how things work in this league. And one thing I admire John Harbaugh about is being gutsy. You know, he's gutsy enough to go for it, you know, in times where most people wouldn't go for it. He had a play early in the, in the game where he went for it on, on fourth and um he was on he was over and he was backed up across mm-hmm. the 50. He wasn't uh, he wasn't past the 50 yard line. He went for it and they got it. And then that kept them in the game and they kept the ball out of the other team's hand. And, and I just I just don't understand, like, how you don't go for three points right there with four minutes left on the clock. With four minutes left on the clock, they could come down and score in two and you still have another possession. You know, so it's just and, I, and and this is the thing where I think analytics, you know, can really come and bite you in the butt. You know, so the way analytics works is you got a guys, you got a group of guys that sits in the room and they go over every single thing you do on the field in the last five or 10 years. And they every set time you've been in a situation where you got four minutes on the clock and you got the ball and you're close to your goal line. 
You know, at, you know how many games have you won? How many games have you lost? How many times did the other team come back down and score the game-winning touchdown? You still lose. It, 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 it basically adds all that up, and it gives you these equations and tell you that you're better off maybe going for it right here and trying to score than that situation. I think the biggest issue for me, you know, not the fact that he decided to be gutsy and go for the call, was the play call that they called. To me, you got one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the entire NFL, Bo. And, and, and it's like, I'm going to get the most dynamic quarterback, the most dual-threat quarterback, the best that's ever played the game probably, and I'm going to have him drop back in the pocket to try to throw the ball regularly and not give him a run-pass option or a run or, or he rolls out of the pocket and be able to throw the ball or tuck it himself and run it, right? Why would you do that? Why would you limit a guy as spectacular as Lamar by doing that. To me, I set it up by I'm gonna run the ball left, I'm gonna run the ball right. He's you know, I'm gonna run the ball to my left to get the ball in the left hash. That way I, he could roll out to his right because he's naturally right-handed. And then I give him an opportunity where he could throw it to Mark Andrews, dump it over the top, you know, throw it to Alan Ricard in the flats, or he could take off running and he got a set of blockers out in front of him. I just don't understand the play call to have him drop back in the in the pocket and now he got to look over D lineman heads and arms swinging and you know guys getting pressure in his face. Now he's running backwards away from the end zone just to try to get a, just try to escape from these guys and trying to find an open guy that he couldn't originally see at first and uh, and it, it's such a hard position to play at the quarterback spot. I just don't understand why you do a dual threat quarterback like that in that situation. And every day in practice, both. Like usually on Wednesday, Thursday practice, we go over situations, right? You go over situationals. What, what you do by going over situationals is you put yourself in the same situation they was in. All right, we, we, we're four minutes on the clock. You know, it's a tie game. You know, we got to score. This, And then you run the plays that you think that are going to be great in those situations. So it's like you mean to tell me all summer, all spring, all camp long, and all season long, that's the play that you're designed to call in that situation? I just don't understand that. Like mentally, to me, it's I know it's all, everybody's gonna jump on the head coach because he's the head guy. When the quarterback loses a game or he doesn't play well, it's the quarterback fault. You know, when a team loses a game like this and it's, and it's about calls or play calling or or decisions and it's coming from the staff, you know, it's gonna be the head head coach got to fall on the knife, right? You know, it just to me, it's just that, that was an OC issue, and John Harbaugh is the one that, that hired the OC, so he got to take the heat as well. Unfortunately, that's how it goes. And, um, you know, when players play bad and coaches stick with them over time, you know, that's what got Billick, you know, fired, right? When he stuck with Kyle Bowler for too long and everybody's like, he got to go. We need a quarterback. You know, why is he sticking with this guy? He's a bum, you know, that type of thing. And that got Billick fired, you know. So, unfortunately, head coaches get fired sometimes on the people they hire as well. And I just feel like this was a horrible – I just felt like it was a horrible call. Now, of course, if he if he drops back and it's an easy, you know, throw and he gets the ball to Duvernay and it's a quick touchdown, it's the best call ever. We're not having this conversation. <laughs> you understand? That's how it goes, right? That, absolutely, that's how it goes. There's two yeah. things about that. Number one, it was really an entire sequence that broke down because they had second and goal at the one, right. and they ran J.K. Dobbins to the right, and he got stuffed, just absolutely hammered for a three-yard loss. So, again, yeah, this is it. like the Miami game where they got to the one-yard line and they could not get the ball across. But Dobbins gets stuck at the th- at the one. He's They're back to the four on third down. Lamar Jackson keeps it, and he gets to the two, and that upset up the fourth down play. And on that play, as you said, they took it from the shotgun. It was a straight pocket pass. And Devin Duvernay was briefly wide open because the defensive he backs – the defensive backs all collapsed on Mark Andrews, predictably enough. They thought the ball might be going to Andrews. Duvernay had enough time that he was actually jumping up and down in the end zone, letting Jackson know that he was open. Exactly. And but jumping then by Jackson. the time, but he and Jackson Jackson said after the game, 
If I had seen him, it would have been a touchdown. But I got guys in my face. I got, you know, pass rushers have their hands up. I, I couldn't see him right away. And by the time he saw him and he had backed up and backed up and it took a lot of time, that throw took enough time to get there that Poyer was able to run over and intercept it. I'll say this also. As soon as they decided to go for it on fourth down there at the two, it reminded me of the two-point tries they made last year over and over again. And you remember two of, them came, two of them came to decide games. They chose not to put Tucker on the field to send it to overtime and went to win the game right there. And they lost both of them. They were two for eight on, four, on a two-point conversions last year. And this was effectively a two-point conversion. It was from the two-yard line with the game on the line. And they failed again. So, I mean, I know John Harbaugh says they, they can get two yards, but they haven't been able to get two yards. And Mark Andrews said after the game, we love that the coach has trust in us. We, the offense wants to believe that they can get it, but they're just not getting it. I mean, they're not yeah. getting it. And I, I think it's a very fair point you make about the play call. And you, you take Lamar Jackson and he immediately drops back in the pocket. I, I'm with you. I don't understand why you don't roll Lamar Jackson out in a situation like that and let him create yeah. something in space because he almost always will. Maybe it's yeah. a run. Maybe it's a run, and maybe he does. Maybe he throws. Maybe they right. lose Patrick Ricard on the pursuit, and Patrick Ricard is wide open in the end zone. Right. Have you ever seen an offensive um, call sheet, like a like an offensive coordinator call sheet? No, so tell me about it. So it's this it's this huge sheet, Bo, and it's usually yeah. I mean, I've seen right? them on TV. I've seen the guys right. holding them, but I, I I can't say that I've ever seen one close up. It's color coordinated, right? And then it's every situation that you could possibly think on. You know, third and short plays. You know, third and fourth plays. You have your top ten plays that you're going to call at the beginning of the game. That's going to start you off because those are the best plays or heavy hitter plays that you want to see how the team either line up against them defensively or you want to see if it's going to pop because other teams have already popped the play for a touchdown on those play calls, right? So you go through all the film and you watch it and you put down a, this you, this entire spreadsheet. It's probably got two three hundred plays on it, and then it's usually situational plays, right? You know, um, two point conversion plays. You know, the perfect call for these, you know what I'm saying? Like perfect you got you have you have a call, you have you have stuff tagged like Mark Andrew plays, Bateman plays, you know, Dobbins plays, you know, Lamar Jackson plays, you have everything tagged. Like that's how detailed it is. So it's like to me, if you're in this situation, you shouldn't have to come up out of your head and call a play. You should already have perfect plays, you know, short short yardage and goal line, perfect plays, right? So it's like to me, for us to call the play that we call, that's the best that we got. You know, at, at this big, huge playbook with 2,000 plays in it, you mean to tell me that's the best play that you got? And then you question some of the, the other plays that, it, that was called last year, too, on, on short yardage, those those plays at the end of the game. It was like, really? You're going to call that crap? You know, to me, the best one of the best plays that you can call is double China seven in the red zone. You know, when you run, you run two China routes from the outside, two outside receivers, a three-by-one set, tight ends, the, the number three receiver, two receivers outside, one and two. They both run five-yard ends, and he runs a seven route in the back corner of the end zone, and it's usually wide open, kind of how DuVernay was like doing, doing jumping jacks. It's just usually exactly where the tight end ends up for a touchdown. And if you look at Joe Flacco's, I think, first touchdown pass to me, um, it was the backside of a, of a, a jumbo package. And it was three tight ends, uh, extra linemen in the game, two tight ends in the game, and a running back. And it was a play action. Everybody bit on the play action. And I came scot-free butt naked for a corner route over Palomalu. You know, so it's like it's little things like that in that goal line area. They expect for you to run it. You know, so you always come back with these play action type plays that put you in great situations. And even the double, the double China seven is, is a fake handoff. So you, you fake it and then you can pump one of those. You could throw either one of those China routes right away. 
And all you needed is two yards. You throw one of those, they both five-yard routes. And then if they jump the China routes, you throw the behind them for the seven. That gives you three options right there on the goal line. You know, so when you look at plays like that and you look at situations like that, you you try to – and then the quarterback rolls out on both of those plays too, on both, by the way. You know, mm-hmm. they don't they don't sit still, you know. And I just don't understand, like, why would you take one of the most dynamic players in the world and then limit him and put him in a box? Stop listening to the outside noise. Focus on what you got. You, you base the whole offense around this guy. Let him be that guy because he's that guy. Absolutely, absolutely fair question to have, uh, whether they should have rolled him out and gotten him into space where he can create. As I said, Jackson, he, he lost vision. He couldn't see DuVernay, and then by the time he could, it, it was too late. And they still had – it was only a tie game. That wasn't like the two-point conversion of the game where they, they win or they lose. It was a tie game. But here's mm-hmm. my belief on this situation. Going for fourth down there, to me, is John Harbaugh saying, I do not trust my defense. I think that's what he was saying. He was saying, effectively, whatever happens here, the Bills are going to get seven points. So we need to get seven points. Now, we asked John Harbaugh after the game. Of course, we asked him about this play. Like, what, what, what was the decision? And he said, going up by three points there puts the Bills in four-down territory. It puts the, he said it puts the defense at a disadvantage because now the Bills are in four-down territory all the way down the field. Now, you can argue, wait a minute, they're not in four-down territory once they get to, say, the red zone. They're going to kick a field goal and tie the game. But that was his argument. I think privately, I don't think he trusted that defense to keep the Bills out of the end zone. I think he thought, you know what, the Bills are scoring seven. We better score seven. He won't, don't blame him. He won't say that, but that's what I think it came down to. The, Bill, the Ravens came out terrifically on defense in that game. That first, say, 20 minutes of that game was probably the best this defense looked all year. They got an interception on the first drive. They were hitting hard. Everything was going well for that defense. They looked as sharp as they've looked all year. But I think by the end of that game, Harbaugh did not trust them to keep the Bills out of the end zone. And I think he felt they're going to score seven, so we need to score seven. In my opinion, that's exactly what it came down to. All right, let's talk about the other really, really big thing that came out of this game. And it's really something I'd I'd love to get your players' perspective on. And that is this. Television cameras caught a little bit of Marcus Peters and and John Harbaugh in in an argument on the sideline. But what they didn't show was before the fourth down play, Peters was down at the other end of the field near Harbaugh, and he he clearly disagreed with the decision to go for the fourth down play. Then it didn't work. Now the defense goes on the field. The Bills go down the field, and they score on the last play of the game. And there's other things involved there. And one of them is John Harbaugh even said at the end of the game they were trying to let the Bills score. With about a minute left, they got inside the 10-yard line, and their plan was to let the Bills score so they could at least get the ball back. Um, Unfortunately, Adafi Owe tackled Singletary at the three-yard line, and that kept the ball in play. And then the Bills were able to get a first down at the one and run the clock down to the last play of the game. And Owe said afterwards, yeah, the call in the huddle was let them score or try to strip the ball. I was trying to strip the ball. If you watch it on film, I was trying to strip the ball. I didn't get it. He fell down. And then that, but they, the, the, the Ravens were clearly frustrated that the plan was to let them score and they didn't score. But he, after that play, when the, when the defense comes off the field to set up the final field goal, Marcus Peters is irate, and he comes off the field screaming and yelling at John Harbaugh, and Harbaugh turns around and screams and yells at Peters, and a defensive back coach, Chris Hewitt, tries to pull Peters away from him. They effectively had to be separated. Peters slams his helmet down on the ground, and he storms off to the locker room. They lose the game. Marcus Peters is an excitable guy. The players in the locker room love him. Everyone talks about that fire, that competitive edge. They love it. They love it. They love it. 
But now you have this situation where he, really, he and the head coach had this huge, huge, very public disagreement. Afterwards, yeah. we asked John Harbaugh about it, and he said, hey, I'm a big Marcus Peters fan. It was heat of the moment. Um, we're fine. I like John. I like Marlon, uh, Marcus Peters. I hope he still likes me too, is what John Harbaugh said. Marcus Peters was out of the locker room by the time we were allowed in, so we didn't get to talk yeah. to Peters. But if you're a player, uh, Daniel Wilcox, you're going in that locker room today. What's the vibe when you have that kind of explosion by Marcus Peters? Is 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 there more brewing there? Is it heat of the moment, or is something after two bad bad losses like this? Is something festering there? Do you think? Yeah, it's definitely something festering. I mean, it's a no brainer. I mean, it's it's any other relationship. You you don't you don't normally scream at your wife the first time she does something wrong. You know what I mean? You scream at her after it's a buildup of 10, 15 things over time, and you just like, bro, I'm tired of this. I can't take it no more. You know, so this all this stuff is about relationships. You, you look at any relationship in life, you know, an outburst or an explosion of, of emotions usually come because you've done the same thing multiple times, even as a father to a son or a father to a daughter. It's like I'm screaming at you because I'm sick and tired of you doing something that you know you ain't supposed to be doing, right? You know, so whatever that outburst was, it's definitely something that's been brewing for a while. And, you know, and when you got star players, you got a bunch of star players like the Ravens do. You got a bunch of veteran guys. You know, they're usually guys that have been outspoken their entire life. You know, they've that's been able to give their opinion, that the coaches respect their opinion enough because they're such a talented person, a talented athlete. And when you get guys like that on your team, you know, you'll have these explosions. You know, I've seen it firsthand when I was down in Tampa, you know, with John Gruden and, you know, Keyshawn Johnson and, you know, Warren Sapp, you know, Derek Brooks, Simeon Rice, we, let me, let me, John Lynch, you know, Mike Allstott. You got all these big name guys, you know, that have been around this league for a long time. And they, they, they any, any of them could be the face of the league at any given point. You know, so they're very outspoken guys and they're going to speak their mind. You know, everybody looked at Antonio Brown like he was crazy feeling the way that he felt you know he was just one of the most outspoken guys you've ever seen everybody else suppressed that energy suppressed those those things that he put out there publicly they don't share with the world they keep everything in the house what happened in vegas stays in vegas and that's how every team is set up you know what happens here stays in here you know but that doesn't stop you from you know outletting your emotions or expressing your emotions and hardball used to be one of those guys he was a fiery guy when he first got to baltimore and he would challenge you he would just go up to you and just challenge you for no reason and he just wanted to see how you reacted you know he wanted to see how you he wanted to see if you was going to be like a man and, and step to him or if you was going to back down and just let him be you know and it was guys that stepped to him early on very early on like i mean first rookie year as a head coach guys were stepping to him because we had stars on our team full of them. And mm -hmm. they would say challenge some of the things that they thought was questionable because they've been veteran guys. They've been in this league five, 10 years or whatever. Some of them ain't never been to another team and some had, and they knew that things could be different. You know, one thing I can tell you, I know what it feels like to win a Super Bowl. I know how it feels to be on the team that wins the Super Bowl and everything feels, feels special. It feels different. You know, you feel like bro, at any given moment, somebody's going to make a play and somebody always going to make that play. And the Ravens have always kind of had that nostalgia, that nostalgia about them where you feel like somebody's going to make a play, you know, and that's how great Baltimore has always been. And I, I think when it comes down to it, it's not a player on that team that wouldn't put Justin Tucker on the field to make that field goal. You know, we'll go up by three right now. We'll put the defense on the field, see what happens. If they score a touchdown, then we got to come back and score. But hopefully they give us at least two minutes to come back and do what we have to do, you know, and trust that the defense is going to make a play. One thing you can say about the Ravens' defense is the last three, four games, they've had at least two turnovers a game. 
You know, mm-hmm. they they did it. Mm-hmm. They did it this game too. Mm-hmm. You know, the script fumble. The script fumble. I think it was Oway. Yep. They got the script fumble, and then um, Humphrey the interception, interception by Humphrey early in the game. You know, and then I think Williams dropped another pick that he could have had. Patrick Queen got tipped. Patrick Queen had one right in his right in his chest again. Yeah, and then Williams, I think, dropped one mm-hmm. that was on the deep ball that got tipped by the receiver right before it got to his hands. That I thought it was another pick as well. So, I mean, these guys are going to give you opportunities to, to pick them off. And Josh Allen going to feel the pressure just like anybody else is going to feel the pressure. You know, some people are better under that pressure than others. But let's let's see. You know, let's see. Let's mm-hmm. put our guys up against your guy, and then let's see what happens. And I, I think I think with the Ravens' defense, with, as magical as a team, if the Ravens have already, always been on defense – I say give them guys a shot. I don't care if they haven't been playing great, if they haven't been playing well, if they have given up some games in the fourth quarter. At the end of the day, we determine, the players determine whether or not we win or loss. You know, it's I'm going to dominate my opponent every single snap, every single play, every single down until the end of the game, or my opponent going to dominate me. And I think you, if you, if it comes down to it, I want that decision to be on us, whether or not we get a chance to go play versus you, you know, and you're having an ego or, or you know, betting on on some some chance type thing or giving the OC a chance to be the hero or something. I don't know, man. I just I, – I'd rather it be us. Let it, let it be us come down to it. The other thing with John Homer going for it on that fourth down play, and he and he, I would say 99 times out of 100, John Harbaugh on fourth and goal from the one is going to go for it. And the, his other argument is always, look, if they stop us, they're 99 yards away. I'm going to trust my defense to get a stop. We've got them pinned in, and we're going to get the ball somewhere near midfield. And with Justin Tucker, we only we may be only 15 yards from a from a game winning field goal. It's very right. possible he viewed it that way and said, "You know what? Even if they stop us, they're at the two yard line, and then if we can hold them, they have to kick. Maybe two minutes left, we get the ball, say at our own 40. We move the ball 20 yards. Justin Tucker gets a game winning field goal on the last play of the game. That could have also been in his mind." What happened, though, was actually probably the worst case it could have been, other than a pick six, is that the ball got intercepted, which means they didn't have the ball at the two. They had the ball at the 20. And so now, not only do they have the momentum of getting the stop, but now they have better field position than the Ravens thought they would have. And you're right. I mean, and who knows how offense, Josh Allen, offensive coordinator, how their mentality changes if they take that field down three versus tied. <clears throat> and so those are all questions to have. But let me ask you again, going back to this locker room mentality, when, if, if you're John Harbaugh today, are you calling Marcus Peters into your office to clear the air? Or what, what's next for the John Harbaugh-Marcus Peters relationship? To me, that's the best thing to do. You always talk to a man in private versus talking to a man in front of the team. You know, and Harbaugh's had, he's had the tendency sometimes to call guys out in front of the whole team. You know, and I think that makes things worse, you know. So I think as a man, you know, talk to me man to man, you know, face to face. We had a disagreement. You know, it's my job to be the head coach to make the calls on these teams. I get paid to do that. You know, it's your job to be the player and and execute whatever I call, you know, as a player, you know, and just kind of set the the record straight. Like, hey, I don't mind you being fiery. To me, that's what great players do. It's that same fire is the reason why you're here. That's the reason why we went out and got you, you know, as a player and have a grown man conversation with him. Like, we can't do that on television ever again. You know, like it, it, it makes it makes everything look bad. It makes me look bad. It makes the team look bad. It makes you guys look bad. Now people are talking about we losing the locker room. And you, you know, that's not the case. And we got to have a, we got to have a grown man situation here. When you got these veteran players, you got so many veteran players on your team. You can have a conversation with them about what you want, them, what you want to do right now. It's fourth and two. What do you guys want? I can guarantee you Lamar Jackson, say, let's go for it. You know, a hundred you know, times out of a yeah, hundred, a hundred yeah, times out of a hundred. 
Yeah, just give me a better play call. Don't give me that bull crap you gave me this last one. <laughs> but, you know, just let me – and then let me call the play. You know, Lamar, call what you want. Go for it. You know what I'm saying? But to me, it's just – to me, it's, it's no way that if you got, you know, situations like this written down on your play call that you pull that play out of that and that becomes the play that you call with a guy like Lamar Jackson. You know, if you got Brady back there, you call that play all day because he can't run. He's not mobile. You know, but when you got somebody that could give you a run pass option every single play and he's dynamic with it and he's magical with it, and he's he, obviously this dude is like a like a magician with the ball in his hand. You don't make that play call. And Marcus Peters has every right on the defensive side of the ball to be pissed off. But one thing is really that's really bad is when the offensive guys starting to feel like the defensive guys don't trust them or when the defensive guys start to feel like the offensive guys don't trust them. That's when you start to lose your team. You know, because now you none of the, the, the defense is telling you what plays to call for the offense. Like, bro, stay on your side of the ball. You know, y'all handle y'all. We got us. You know, and then the offensive guy say, man, why'd y'all call cover three in that situation? You know, like, dude, you play offense. Shut up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you could argue that the defense might say, wait a minute. It looks like Harbaugh trusts the offense, but it looks like he doesn't trust us. And that would make that's right. another thing that might have set Peters off or the other defensive guys. Yeah. And the young defensive quarter, Mike McDonald, is suddenly sitting on this, like, simmering mess and and he's got to rein it in too because his yeah. team has now blown two three score leads in the second half and I know a lot of people say wait a minute it wasn't just the defense this time the offense did not score in the second half they didn't move the ball well at all for stretches of that third quarter Mark Andrews was completely taken out of the game and and you can say well the Bills were able to take him out of the game but then that would theoretically fall on Greg Roman to not let the Bills take him out of the game and make him be more you know, how do, how, how were they able to stop Mark Andrews? And I know a lot of people are going to also gripe about the officiating, and there were some calls in that game that were very questionable. Andrews gets called for a very ticky-tack pass interference call. Bateman appeared to get hit well early, and it was not called. And Mark Andrews on that play just ran down the sideline and, and just giving the field judge all sorts of lip. And then there was the late hit on Brandon Stevens late in the game, the roughing the passer call that was very questionable. Uh, it really was. They said Super that, you know, and so call. one of the reporters went, uh, sent a pool reporter to the locker room to talk to the, to get the interpretation from the official, which is how it works. Yeah. You can ask for an interpretation from the official. The f- official said we had forcible contact to the head and neck area. And in fact, the referee was then asked by the pool reporter, you saw forcible contact. And he said, yes. And if you look at the play, John Harbaugh clearly questioned whether there was any hit to the head and neck area at all. It Me appeared too. to be the chest and the shoulder, uh, but and not only that, but but he broke down before he hit him because he didn't want to hit him in full stride. He literally stopped his feet and made a decision to all right, I got to at least get get him down. I can't just let him you know throw the ball cleanly because he'd have ran through him. It could have been really ugly, really fast, you know, on that play because he can't. He had a full head of steam and he literally stopped and broke down and stopped his feet and momentum just to wrap up the quarterback and let him throw the ball like it was a practice play almost. It was very – it was a horrible call by the referees. I don't agree with it 100, 100%. I do not agree. And I feel like that's something that you send in to the to the league and you have it challenged. And I, they're going to come back and they're going to protect the referees no matter what. But it was a horrible call. Harbaugh clearly disagreed. And, and yeah, they can send them play. But what are they going to say? Okay, even if they say, okay, sorry, we got it wrong. Okay, well, that was actually a huge play and put the Bills in field goal range at the end of the game. And who knows what would have happened. But – a lot of things happened. There were a lot of officiating plays that could that were highly questionable. And so that also really, really frustrated. But it felt like the Ravens were just an incredibly frustrated group of players. And maybe it, it sums up or it's the summation of two straight games now where they or two losses 
where they've blown really big leads. So they could easily be 4-0. Easily. They probably should be 4-0. Instead, they're 2-2, and and they've got Cincinnati coming in on Sunday night football in a huge AFC North, you know, everyone in the league, everyone in the division is either two and two or one and three. The division for all the flaws, for all the tr- disasters of these two losses, they're tied for first place. You, effectively, it starts over and it's a 13 game season, but it starts with Cincinnati at home coming off this loss and we'll preview Cincinnati later in the week. But where would you be as a player coming off that loss with Cincinnati looming? I mean, I mean, right now I'll be really upset. I mean, it's not even a question in my mind. I'd be upset. That I'd be upset with the play calling. I'd be upset with the coaching right now, and like they costing us games. And um, I think the players will sit down and they'll have that conversation. You know, um, you you don't want to talk behind people's backs. You want to talk to people face in their face, face to face. And Harbaugh has always been the kind of guy that would come up and say, "Hey, man, that was our fault." You know, we messed that up. And I hope he comes in and has that conversation. Hey, guys, that one's on us. You know. Like, we put y'all in a bad situation. Y'all shouldn't have been in the situation y'all was in. Uh, maybe we should have tucked the field goal. You know, let's have a adult conversation about it, and let's try to figure out how to handle it because it's going to come up again, you know, in the future. In the future, you know, you want to make sure that, that you don't make that same call again or that same mistake again. You want to give your guys the opportunity, you know, to go out and play the game that they love so much. You know, nobody wants to be in a situation where you play a game, a whole game, and you come down to the end of the game and you has to lose you you has an opportunity to win or lose it because you played a heck of a game all game long. This is a team that a lot of people don't think thought the Ravens was going to be able to beat. And they had them the entire game. You True. know, you give it away with the last couple of minutes of the game, you give it away and um and it's just it's disheartening, man. You know, I really thought they was going to kind of pull away with it at one point. And I think going into this last week, boy, I I, I think I said it was going to be a close game. It was going to be a tight game. You knew it was going to come down to the wire. Neither one of these teams has quit in them. And both of them are very dynamic with very with very dynamic quarterbacks and defenses and offenses. You know, everybody's a little beat up and banged up and got guys out. And I think we lost Justice Hill again, looked like too mm-hmm. as well. But mm-hmm. um, I, I just, I don't know. I think as a team, there's going to be a lot of conversations. And you don't want to have all these little small pockets of conversation because that's when you start getting a division, right? You know, so you want to sit down as a team and kind of talk. And you usually go to the head guy of the team and have that conversation, the most mature guy, the most veteran guy. So Clayus Campbell would be one of those guys definitely be pulled in to kind of have that talk and that conversation with me. And I think on the offensive side of the ball, it's not a lot of older guys. No, there aren't. No, there aren't. I mean, Mark Andrews and Lamar may be the oldest too, you know. So it's like you sit down and you talk to those guys, and you got to have some real serious conversations amongst yourself and amongst the team. And then you take those veteran guys used to have like a leadership council or something like they that. Still, they, yeah, I was just going to say yeah. that they do still have that. Now, I don't know who right. else on it anymore because I know a lot of the Peters. older guys that used to be on it are gone. So Marcus Peters on there. Well, I guarantee you Marcus Peters on there. So, and so, so somebody got to go talk to Harbaugh. You know, so, somebody got to go have that conversation. So John Harbaugh and the Ravens, and I don't know if this is, I don't know, tell me, do, do, is that something other teams have, something like a leadership council? Is that, in, is that just a Ravens thing? No, it is. Um, it, it helps the staff just kind of depict like who's the older guys on the team. Those guys on the leadership council usually sit up in the front of the plane when you travel. You know, the coaches kind of trust them to have those conversations. And 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 you need somebody. Sometimes as a coach, you need somebody to be a buffer between you and the players. Right? Oh, I'm sure. You know, I'm sure. You yeah. Do. So yeah. you you need guys that you can trust on that leadership council that you can go to and have you know real grown up conversations with, and then they relay they relay that that energy back to the players. Because sometimes it's better coming from players than it is from coaches. I'm sure and, of that. And on every level, it's different. You know, on a high school level, on a collegiate level, and on a pro level, it's different. You know, so, you know, those guys on the leadership council has, has to be guys that guys respect. 
And, you know, Marlon Humphreys would definitely be a guy on there. Mm-hmm. You know, he's one of those guys. He's been around for a while, played at Alabama, been there for a long time, playing at a high level. You know, it's it's one of those things, man, you got to have. And, you know, and sometimes the players want to relay some stuff to the co- coaching staff that they need the coach to hear and get. And he might not hear it coming from me, you know, but he might he going to hear it from coming from the guys that's on the leadership council that the whole team appointed, even if he agree with those guys being on the council or not. They're going to get a chance to sit down and talk to him man to man and look at him in his eyes and tell him how the team is feeling right now. And then he can address that in the team meeting. I think this is a extremely important week for this team and for John Harbaugh. I mean, because they've got a they've got a game plan and get ready for playing a really really good Cincinnati team that started off badly, but now they're two and two and they see the same thing. They see it as a season reset, and now they got their chance to take over basically command of the division race if they can win in Baltimore. The Ravens have a chance to come in and take command of the division if they can beat the Bengals, but they've got a, not only game plan for this game. They've got to settle this mess. They've got to simmer this down yeah. a little bit because there's clearly something, as you said, it is fermenting and it's brewing and it's not really feeling, the, the vibe is not really good coming out of that game. And right. and how that locker room settles this week and how, you know, Calais Campbell and others have said after that Miami loss, oh, it's just one loss. We've got to make sure it doesn't cost us another game. It's just It just, it just happened once. Well, now it's happened twice, and, and there was this very public dispute on the sideline between one of the fiery leaders of the team and the head coach. If they play well against Cincinnati on Sunday, yeah, you know they, they could get it together. But I think this is an extremely important week where John Harbaugh's kind of X's and O's coaching mm-hmm. won't matter as much as his people coaching and getting this locker room back together. And, and you, it, it will fall on some of the veteran. Who are the leaders of this team? That's what we're going to find out, and we probably won't yeah. find out publicly. But is is Marlon Humphrey calling everyone together? Is Calais Campbell? Is Lamar Jackson? Is Mark Andrews? Whoever it is, who are the leaders on the team, and how are they kind of putting it back together after this loss? I think that's going to be a really important question that goes on over the course of this week. I agree with you, Bo. Coming up Sunday, an enormous game with the Cincinnati Bengals. It's Sunday night football in Baltimore, so you know the place will be rocking. It's a huge, huge game Sunday, Ravens and Bengals. We will be back to preview that one later in the week. For Ravens tight end Daniel Wilcox, I'm Bo Smoke on the Believe in the Ravens podcast presented by BetOnline.